Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Lovers and haters, I have another question for you this week, and this question is one that I get in many forms over and over again. So hopefully it's going to make sense and it's going to be helpful to you. Wait for it. You'll see why. This question is from V and V says, what does it mean when a house or quadrant is empty? I have an empty first quadrant and always interpreted empties as an area where I carry no particular burden, except I'm very much weighted down by and often struggle with the themes I am, I possess, and I think. Any assistance with understanding this area of my chart would be highly appreciated. Thank you. And V was born May 12th, 1990, 11.05 a.m. in the Bronx. And I love this question. Great question. I will tell you all about it. But let me just start off with this. If you're new to astrology, if you ever see a birth chart, it's a circle. What it really is, is a view of the sky. It is. But we're going to metaphorically say it is this really large round stage upon which your nature plays out. And each house means particular things. And what V is referring to is, as an example, the first house is associated with identity. I am. The second house is is associated with values, personal possessions, personal finances. I possess. The third house is associated with communication, ideas, um, the neighborhood you live in, even. Amongst other things, I'm giving you keywords here. So each house has its individual meaning, right? And then based on your birth chart, which is determined not just by your birth date, but also by your exact time of birth. And the reason why we need your location and your time is so that we can determine which zodiac sign was rising in the Eastern Hemisphere in the moment and location of your exit from wherever you were before and into this weird world we are all sharing. So that sets the wheel. So what we then look at is, let's say, V is talking about their first house. So V has first house in Leo. Okay, Leo rising. Most of that house is governed by Leo. And so what we do is we take the themes that studied astrology students and astrologers alike understand to be identity, sense of self. When you have planets in the first house, they are right on the surface. So what happens in the first house tends to be really public. It tends to be shown. And then we add to that the sign of Leo, right? So we add this layer of information about what issues we have and what we experience about our first house themes based on the sign. Now, we go through this through each house. So each house has a different sign on its cusp, and that adds a specific and personalized layer of data and meaning about you and your nature and your birth chart. And I should just say that the first through third house is the first quadrant. The birth chart is broken into four quadrants. The rest of the quadrants are, you know, it's four to six, seven to nine, and uh, 10 to 12. There you go. So now in these three houses, it's true V that you do not have any planets there. Now, I don't know who told you that those would be (laughs) easy peasy uh, issues, but for sure, that is not what it means for sure. In fact, I use Campanus house system, and that is just a very specific system of drawing houses in astrology, which is something I've talked about on the podcast before. 
And in your 11th house, you not only don't have any planets, but you have an intercept sign, which means you have Taurus on your 11th house cusp. You have a full 30 degrees of Gemini, which is the following sign. And then you have Cancer on your 12th house cusp. So when a sign is intercept, it is nestled and tucked inside of a house without touching either of the, the doorways in or out. And that just really deeply intensifies the issues of that house. It's very interesting, but you don't have any planets there. So I imagine that friendships and group organizations, aka the 11th house, is also a really, really big deal to you and not necessarily easy peasy, <laughs> right? So what do we do when we just see an empty house? So the first thing is don't freak out. There's nothing, there's no real such thing as empty. I know it looks empty. It looks empty. But the truth of the matter is, if there is a sign on a house cusp, and if there is either 30 degrees of that sign in that house, or maybe there's a little bit of a different sign, usually there's at least two signs in a particular house, that means it's not empty. There's something there. And that something is important information. And so we can, first of all, understand the layers of data between the house and the sign. And then we look to the ruling planet of the sign that's on the house cusp. Again, I'm sorry if I've lost you. I know it's a little bit more detailed and layered than you want it to be, but it's astrology is not magic. It's not. It's actually just lots and lots of data you have to memorize and learn and then synthesize. That's how it goes. So we look to the ruling planet. And in the case of, let's say, your first house, you have a first house, as I said, in Leo. So we would look to the sun. We would look to the sun to get more information about your first house issues, your identity issues. And lo and behold, we, you have a sun-Pluto opposition. And your sun-Pluto opposition, it's going to give you a really complicated relationship to your identity. Everything that you feel, you feel intensely and compulsively and powerfully. And so when it comes to expressing your identity, when you take up a lot of space, you can fear that you're taking up too much space. And when you don't take up a lot of space, you can feel like you're being silenced or have resentments. And that is not because you have a Leo rising. And that's certainly not because you don't have planets in the first house. It's simply because your sun rules the rise and the first house. Therefore, it's kind of like the governing vibe for your first house. That's the most powerful natal aspect that you have uh, to your son. What's incredibly important about what I'm explaining to you is that the chart is complicated. A little bit of data can be a little bit dangerous. So it's important to know how much you don't know when you don't know. Okay, I'm not done with you. V, on your second house cusp, and on your third house cusp, in Campanus house system, you have Virgo on both of those house cusps, which means your second and third houses are smaller. They're a little bit smaller. You've got a four degree and 46 minute uh, of Virgo on your second house cusp. And on your third house cusp, you have 28, Virgo 56. And there's 30 degrees to each sign. And so the ruling planet to Virgo is Mercury. So if we want to understand more about your second and third houses, we want to look at Mercury. What's it doing? What's it not doing? And fun fact, <laughs> you've got a really strong Mercury. Mercury is at the top of your chart. Mercury is in the sign of Taurus, which is not especially relevant to this conversation, but I mentioned it. And what Mercury does is it forms a focal planet to a T-square between your nodes and your ascendant. So what you think, your attitudes, your ideas, how you communicate verbally or not, how you 
express yourself. The way that you kind of sort through your relationship to money and also just thinking process and communicating, connecting platonically with others is massive. And in fact, if I'm simply looking at the quote, empty houses in your birth chart, your platonic relationships, your platonic loves and your platonic likes are deeply important for you to work on and find yourself in, in this lifetime. And that is reiterated by the really strong Mercury that you have governing that second and third house. And then also that 11th house that you didn't mention in your question. And part of why you might not have mentioned it, you might not have seen it that way, is you, you're probably not using Campanus house systems. The most commonly used house systems are Placidus and Koch, and it is popular at this time to use equal houses. I personally do not like equal houses. I only use them for writing horoscopes because it's the only way to write a horoscope. But uh, I thumbs down. Equal houses, great way to learn not a great way to read birth charts. I am, oh, feel free to disagree with me, but please do not at me about it. I appreciate it. Anyhow, so one last thing, the idea of empty, the idea of emptiness is so interesting to me. And it's not really what you're asking me about. You asked me a technical question about astrology that I quite frankly get asked frequently. But the idea of emptiness, it scares people. You know, this idea of being empty in a part of your life, nothing happening. But what the birth chart is, is a snapshot of the sky at the moment and location of your birth. And the way to think of it is like the hard drive of your personal computer. But we are constantly adding software, malware, (laughs) we're downloading shit we meant to, we're downloading shit we didn't mean to, we can choose to not use certain programs and we can really get fixated on using others. There's updates. It's a metaphor. I'm using I'm using a technology metaphor. What I'm trying to say is not only is a house never empty, but also we have things traveling through all parts of our lives, all parts of our natures. We are constantly growing and evolving. It doesn't ever end. It's just always happening. And that's just a powerful thing to stay aware of and stay connected to. The feeling that we have about emptiness, emptiness is bad, or I worked really hard to get happy with solitude or emptiness, and that's good. I want to say it's neither. Emptiness is really the absence of what? The absence of people, the absence of things, the absence of presence. And when you see something in your birth chart, something in your nature that feels empty, It's always an invitation to be present, always an invitation to be present. Because if you can be present with the parts of yourself that you are not super actualized around or you don't feel supported around, then you are not reiterating a trauma, which is feeling bereft, alone, not capable. So if you take the kind of metaphorical fear that I think a lot of people have when they see empty houses and they think, oh shit, this part of my life is not going to thrive. I'm never going to be okay in this part of my life. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that on a million levels. But also that's an interesting assumption. It's an interesting thought and it's worth investigating with compassion, with kindness, and with interest. And luckily you are mercurial enough that I bet you can do that. It's time to stand up and fight for our democracy. 
We the people are marching to be seen and heard. We are marching to remind our elected officials that they work for us. We are marching because the current regime is a threat to our democracy and our values. We are marching to demand action. On September 21st, we the people will be marching in Washington, D.C. And if you're like me and you can't make it to the D.C. area, there are solidarity marches happening all across this country. Go to wethepeoplemarch.org to get information or get involved. Beloveds, we are going to look this week at the astrology of August 18th through the 24th of 2019. And there's a fair amount to say about it. We're moving into a great deal of Virgo energy, which kind of kicks off for me the need to have boundaries and the need to have really clear discernment. So I want to talk a little bit about what those things are and what they're not for just a hot minute before we get into your horoscope. What I think a lot of people misunderstand about boundaries is a couple of things. The first thing is you can have the healthiest boundaries in the world, my loves, the absolute best and biggest boundaries. And it doesn't mean that anyone is going to hear them, respect them, or agree with them. Having boundaries is not a magic bullet. Having boundaries is knowing yourself well enough to know what you can participate in, hold, do whatever in a healthy way and striving to embody that truth and to embody it on all the levels, which means maintaining physical behaviors around that boundary. So like, let's say I'm overwhelmed by the news means I'm not going to read the news first thing in the morning. I'm only going to read it, you know, from seven till 8 PM. I'm allowed to look at the news. That's like a physical boundary, but then the mental boundary needs to exist as well. So that might mean when your friends start talking to you about the news saying, Oh, actually I'm, I have like these hours that I'm doing it in. I can't really have that conversation right now. Or having the emotional boundary where you don't allow yourself to obsessively replay and revisit your feelings about the news, but instead breathing into it and being like, okay, I've set aside this space, I've set aside this time, and I'm going to give myself permission to really be present at that time. And now I just want to be present for my feelings instead of the content of news. Having a boundary is not the same thing as having a rule. A rule is asserting an order. I was going to say barking out an order. Not everybody barks. Not everyone's like me. But, you know, it's asserting an order or a limit or a preference. And it's doing it without a whole lot of follow-up. It's kind of like, do as I say, not as I do. And we have rules with ourselves. We have rules with other people. A boundary is more flexible and more based on discernment. And in order to hold and maintain a boundary, we must be able to do it first within and then without, first internally and then in our behavior, then externally. And this is a really important thing because it's very Virgonian, actually. Virgo is the sign of discernment. Virgo is the sign of being able to look at many sides of a thing to determine, or aka discern, what is best in a situation. Now, the negative side of Virgo can very much fall into good, better, best, bad, terrible, the goddamn worst. But in its healthiest 
most grounded form, this energy allows us to sift through data in a way that allows us to use that data productively so that we can grow what we want to grow and prune back or limit what needs to be limited, right? That's the, that's the magic. That's the magic of Virgo. I am. Oh. And so another thing about boundaries, it is nobody's job to maintain your boundaries, but you. And it is really important to know that when you start to assert and maintain your boundaries, people who don't have boundaries, they don't know how to have boundaries, will feel that you're being rude or mean. That's just part of it, unfortunately, because most of us do not assert boundaries or have or hold boundaries because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings because we're scared of taking up too much space or saying or doing the wrong thing because we don't want to be on the hook for what it is that we have uh, asserted or asked for or whatever. When you start saying, yeah, yeah, this is the space I'm going to take up. This is the self that I know, and I'm going to assert this. Other people might be really hurt by that because they would never do that. So what you need to figure out is a couple of things. The first is, is this right for you? And the other is, are you asking for too much or taking too much? Are you including other people in your process when it's appropriate? Other people being uncomfortable with your boundaries is important information, but it is not definitive information. It's important to ask yourself why other people are uncomfortable with your boundaries, to be willing and able to be in disagreement with others, and to be willing and able to let your relationships change as you change. There is no person since the dawn of time who all of a sudden started having boundaries after not having them, who didn't have friendships fall apart and love relationships struggle and family relationships struggle. Unfortunately, that's just kind of normal when it comes to boundary stuff. Anyone who's going to like you less because you are trying to take care of yourself, I would be suspicious of that relationship. And I wouldn't say throw it away and burn it to the ground, not necessarily. All relationships require kind of a grace period when one person changes or when the terms of engagement change, right? We all need room to kind of adjust and struggle a little bit with those changes. And it's important if you're the one who's starting to hold and assert boundaries that you allow for that, you know, that you are present for that and don't expect people to change magically because you've already done the work to change, right? If you determine that others are cruel or unaccepting around what you need to do to take care of yourself, then there might be a need for you to reassess relationships. And IMO, having a relationship end is not a sign of failure. It's just a sign of a relationship not working. If you need a relationship to end, you don't need to burn it to the ground in order to say, no, thank you, and to walk away. When we burn relationships to the ground, and sometimes you got to, right? What you're doing in a way is you're throwing down a rule instead of staying emotionally present for the messiness and the complexity of the choice you're making. It is much easier to, cr to create drama in the short term anyways in your relationships than to stay present for your participation, your role to play, and to be emotionally uncomfortable and vulnerable with, I love you or I like you and it's not working and it hurts. Or I screwed up and I did X and I did Y and now I'm fixing it and my fix is breaking the relationship. Whatever it is, I think it's really important that we practice staying present 
not only for our feelings around our needs with our boundaries, but also our judgments and our fears around our boundaries. Because everyone has fears around having healthy boundaries. It's just a part of being a person. I think especially a person who's reared as female. That's just, it's not something to, I mean, we can feel bad about it. and We can talk about it in really complex layered terms. I think we should. But in this moment, that's not what I'm trying to do. In this moment, what I want to say is accept it so that you don't waste too much time belaboring it so that you can actually come to embodiment and healing around it. And I want you to notice that I said embodiment and then I said healing. I did that on purpose, my friends. Healing something that you are not at first embodied around is very difficult and very slow moving. The first step ideally is embodiment. And we are back to Virgo again, because Virgo is a very material sign. It's an earth sign and it's rooted in the sixth house in the system of astrology. So that doesn't mean it's in your sixth house in your birth chart, unless you're in Aries rising. It means that it governs the sixth house themes, which are habit and body amongst other things. This is a really important thing for me to say because we probably all know that Virgo is very heady and very much about the thoughts and the mind, but it's also about the body. When we talk about mind-body connection, well, of course there's a mind-body connection because your mind is a part of your damn body. So stay present with your body because it offers you information about what is hard for you to hold with your mind and vice damn versa. Now, my loves, That's my little spiel about boundaries, and I hope that you apply it to whether it's your interpersonal relationships, your work relationships, your relationship with stress and anxiety, your relationship to, I don't know, even self-hate or self-criticism. It's endless what we can have healthy boundaries or shitty boundaries with. So all of that said, back to your horoscope. We're talking August 18th through the 24th, 2019. And on the 21st, Venus enters Virgo. I don't know if you remember, I hope you do. Last week, Mars entered Virgo and Mars moves a little bit slower than Venus. And so they will meet in the sky on the 24th. We'll get to that in a moment. But Venus entering Virgo is an excellent time for really looking at the theme of boundaries in your interpersonal relationships and even your relationship to boundaries around your spending, around your money stuff. Yeah, money, Venus. I know I like to talk about Venus and money, and a lot of people like to hear about Venus and love. I love love, don't get me wrong, but a big part of being a self-sufficient adult is being able to manage your own resources. I think that's so important. So I want to say Venus and Virgo, great time for looking at your finances, looking at your spending, and really discerning what is and isn't working, what needs tweaking and what doesn't, where you need to have better boundaries with yourself. Venus and Virgo is also a really great time for overthinking things if you're in the market for it. I don't recommend it, but this energy certainly can allow us to get really nitpicky. Uh, This is a great time for getting clear about your needs and your limits and not overdoing it, not picking at things, and also knowing what needs to go. Venus is your complexion. And Virgo loves the details, just getting rid of impurities. So it can be really good for getting a facial. Visit your local esthetician today. On the same date, on the 21st, we have a Mercury trying to Jupiter. This is a great transit for learning something new. It's an excellent transit for making new friends and connecting to people. Mercury trying to Jupiter is just an expansive idea moment. If you're planning a trip, excellent time to do it. 
trips planned around this date will be lovely. Also, this is a great time for missing details. Not a huge risk, but you might be so excited and so optimistic that you kind of don't think through all the details. So that's something to watch out for. The other thing to watch out for is you might be so convinced that you are right, that you don't listen. And you know, I'm such a big fan of listening. So make sure that you are listening as much as you speak and willing to learn as much as you want to teach. Now on the 23rd, the sun moves into Virgo and Virgo season, it's a lovely season. I am. Oh, it's a time of reflection, contemplation, and also planting, putting yourself out there in a material way, making things happen. This Virgo season, I urge you to really pay attention to the difference between obsessing, especially negative obsession, and investing your energy, investing your time, your heart, your mind into topics. Because investments, when we, when we invest ourselves, it's mindful, it's intentional. And when we obsess, it's emotional and reactive, right? So take this Virgo season to really pay attention to that. And you might even want to like pop it in a calendar, really allow yourself to contemplate the difference between these things. Because again, the more presence and embodiment we bring to any topic, the closer we are to healing it. Really, truly we are. Now, as promised, we have a Venus conjunction to Mars in Virgo on the 24th. This transit's lovely. I think it's quite lovely. A Venus conjunction to Mars, honestly, Venus-Mars transits in general are not earth-shattering. They're not life-changing. But Venus is diplomacy and Mars is assertion. And so this can be a great time for flirting and connecting and kind of making things happen. If you're single and ready to mingle, I say get yourself out there, girl. Have a good time. Connect with people. This is not the time to stay home and wish you were out there. Just just take a walk. Go go someplace (laughs) and talk to the people. Enjoy the people if you can. Venus conjunction to Mars is a great time for just talking and moving. Whether you are trying to do that in a romantic way, if you're trying to get some sort of creative project off the ground, this is a great time for mobilizing and collaborating with others or even with disciplines, right? This is just a creative generative transit But because it's Venus and Mars, it's not enough on its own to make something happen for you. You have to leverage this energy. You have to do something with this energy. So you have been warned. You have been encouraged. Get off your buns. Make a thing happen. All right, my loves. That's your horoscope this week. But there's so much more for me to talk to you about. So don't go away. We're still here. We're still doing this. As you know, I'm about to announce another winner for my Ghost of a Podcast one-year anniversary giveaway. I've got two more giveaways, and I'm really excited about this because it turns out I really love giving away stuff. I didn't know. I mean, I had a theory, but this is really fun for me. So if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, write your five-star review, include your uh, handle, whether it's for Instagram or Twitter, and make sure to tell me whether it's Instagram or Twitter. I got to say, these are these are some heavy days. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, you know I'd like to focus on some pretty heavy themes in the world and reading your loving reviews has just been so healing and powerful for me. Also, it's so buoying because we are a community and we are uh 
international community of people who are deeply invested in building our emotional intelligence, building our spiritual presence, and being a part of the world in a way that is impactful and just. And it is fucking gorgeous. You gorgeous beasts, you. Keep on doing the goddamn work. I love you. <laughs> I, I know I sound like I'm yelling at you, but it's like love yelling. I love yell you. I, I love you. Okay. So this week, guess who won? Oracle Owl won. If you haven't already checked your messages, do it because I have DM'd you and Oracle Owl says, greetings, astro nerds. I've been listening to Jessica since her guest spot on self-service. As an avid astrology nerd, I choose my mentors and guides with great care and Jessica never lets me down. Her advice is empathetic and tangible and her weekly astrology is my go-to guide for the week ahead. I deeply value her authentic voice, her depth of knowledge, her inclusivity, and her humor. I actually listen multiple times throughout the week as a guidepost for days to come. In my opinion, there is no more knowledgeable source than ghosts. Please keep the insightful content. Leslie. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone else who's writing reviews um, and just showing up. Keep showing up. Shit. Okay. So. If you have not yet signed up for my weekly horoscope, you can subscribe on my website or on Instagram. You can follow me on social media at Jessica Lignato on Twitter or Instagram. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. It actually makes a huge difference for little independent podcasts like mine. I'm going to give you one more, one more tip for this very Virgo season we're moving into. Oh, it's a very Virgo season. Pick three things that you're going to really focus on and give them your all. Don't over inundate yourself with too much data. This strategy is not only impactful and effective on a tangible level, but my loves, it's also emotionally kind to yourself and the people around you. Choose a sustainable approach whenever possible. And it's not always possible. But if it is possible for you to attempt to choose a sustainable approach this week, hopefully this whole Virgo season, but certainly for the week, you will probably be rewarded with a little more space in your heart, a little more space in your head, which creates a whole lot more space for wonderful things to come in. 